Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solution Center, L3C. Hello, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan Loverich, a legal assistant with SATC and one of the hosts of the podcast. And I'm here today with Mike Frayne a vice president in the commercial sales division of Old Republic National Title Insurance Company. Mike, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. We obviously want to talk about your work with Old Republic and give our listeners a better understanding of what you do and the benefits of working with a title insurance company. But I want to backtrack a little first and talk about your Chicago ties and your life here in the city. Did you grow up in the Chicago area? Well, I grew up out in Park Forest, which is about a suburb about 30 miles straight south of the Chicago. Okay. Uh, my parents were originally from Chicago, and they moved out from the south side. So I've been a south sider my whole life, pretty much. And uh, I've always worked in the loop, so I can s- sort of consider myself a Chicagoan, yeah. even though I'm technically not a Chicagoan. <laughs> we won't get into that argument. Okay. I know how that goes. Yes. But, uh, so are you a Southside Chicago fan? I'm or? a Southside, I'm a Sox fan All right. through and through. All right. Well, we won't blame you for that. But <laughs> I'm one of these guys that uh, says has two favorite teams, the Sox and whoever's playing the Cubs. So, <laughs> and, I, and I believe that uh, people who say, oh, I like both teams, they're not really baseball fans. Yeah, you, you, I tend to agree. My dad grew up on the north side, so I, I'm a Cubs fan. Okay. I grew up a Cubs All fan, right. but, you know. We'll talk to you anyways. <laughs> yeah, we're happy to have you here regardless. Um, so so you uh, grew up here in Chicago, or in the area, and then decided to stay here to go to school. Uh, I see you started your education at Northwestern. Yes, I did. Uh, and tell us about what you studied there and how uh, your experience in Northwestern was for you. Well, I, uh, I was an English and political science major at Northwestern, thought I wanted to be an attorney when I got out. Uh, at that time, Northwestern really didn't have any undergraduate business majors because they figured anybody that spends the money to go to Northwestern <laughs> is going to go on to a professional education, either be a doctor, a lawyer, or, you know, something else. They're going to further their education somehow. And that was true with me, too. Uh, I thought I wanted to be an attorney, um, but I guess, I guess I had to study a lot when I was undergraduate in order to make it through. I wasn't particularly smart. So <laughs> I... So I um, so I got a little burned out undergraduate, so I wanted to take a couple years off and just work and see what that was like. So, But I had no real practical skills because I, sh- I had been re- reading Shakespeare for four years, so <laughs> there aren't any jobs doing that. So um, ended up doing what we used to call, this was years before the internet, uh, smokestacking. And what, I, what, what that is is you put on your new suit from, you know, Litton's, just freshly tailored, <laughs> your three-piece Johnny Carson suit or whatever. And um, you get your, your, your resumes and your little briefcase, and you just walk around the loop if, if the loop is where you want to work. And at yeah. that time, that was pretty much where anybody with a white-collar job or looking for a white-collar job went to was the loop. So... Uh, just went around, and this was way pre-9-11. This was uh, 1978. Um, 
you could actually go up and get into the front desk for companies. You could just walk up without going through security or passing muster with anybody. You just walk in and just say, hello, I'd like to talk to the, you know, person in charge of personnel. And at that time, they called it personnel and not human resources. So I'm dating myself. Things have changed a little bit. Yeah, but, things you know. have changed a little bit, yes. But uh, um, we, so I, I did that to a bunch of different companies. And, you know, you get some nibbles and you get some interviews and you get some thank yous. And, you know, yeah. we'll call you, don't call us, we'll call you type thing. And then, of course, you always followed up with a letter and, you know, the, the usual stuff. And I ended up uh, having to walk into Chicago Title. They were at 111 West Washington at that time, and they owned the building, so their name was on the building. So I just walked in, and and I said, I'd like to talk to your personnel person. And they were they happened to be on the fifth floor, I remember this, right across from their cafeteria, because she took me to breakfast, which <laughs> I thought was extremely nice. Yeah. But I got an interview with, with the, the, the lady, and she said, well, what do you want to do for... I, I, I had no, by the way, I had no idea what title insurance was. I had never heard of what it was. Yeah. Um, I had no, you know, not an inkling. I, I said, well, I'd like to be an underwriter because I knew there were underwriters in insurance. So um, <laughs> not knowing what an underwriter was. And so she, you know, she gave me the, what was, the, I guess, the equivalent then of the Wonderlick test. And, you know, I didn't do too badly on mm-hmm. it. And, mm-hmm. So she she said, well, we, what we what what they were embarking on was a program to take college graduates and attorneys. It, so you didn't have to be an attorney anymore. Okay. And they're training them. It's a, it was a six month training program they put you through to become a title examiner. And they teach you. It was basically sort of a mini paralegal type course. Yeah. They taught you how to examine. Well, they taught you what a deed and mortgage was first, and then they taught you what title insurance was and how it fit into the entire real estate transaction. And then they taught you specific things about title insurance, how to examine a foreclosure case, how to examine a, uh, you know, uh, a d- deed in lieu, how to uh, examine a tax deed case. Uh, as well as, you know, decedents' estates and things like that, sort of specialized type stuff. And also how to draft out legal descriptions from for, for meets and bounds legal descriptions as opposed to lot block legals. Um, and I guess I must have had a pretty good aptitude for it because after the six months, uh, they put me in a commercial unit uh, examining titles and I had, you know, a senior examiner who was sort of my mentor and sort of still watched me. They didn't just let me loose to (laughs) to wreak havoc on the the real estate world. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I did that for about two years. And uh, it's the type of job that, you know, I'm sort of a, I hate to say I'm a people person, but I like to talk a lot, I guess. (laughs) So... um, Ended up, I had worked with a lot of guys that were commercial salespeople because they were the ones that brought in the business that I was sort that I was prepping mm-hmm. to 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 issue title commitments on, and uh, so I got to know these guys, got to be friendly with them, and uh, said, you know, I'm not 
really too interested in staying an examiner for the rest of my life. You know, it's kind of a green eye shade type job. So I would like to, you know, maybe think about getting into commercial sales. So if you guys have anything that opens up, you know, let me know. Lo and behold, they did. Wow. And I was what you call a pre-selected candidate <laughs> the next time when something opened up. So I got into that area, and my first boss was very good. I had a lot of technical expertise, obviously. And uh, um, my first boss was very good because he didn't give me set accounts. He said he basically gave me a set of computer printout cards, and they used to be sort of mag card type things you mm -hmm. fit into the kit was a different era. Yeah. Um, and he said, these are people that have done business with Chicago title at one time or another. Go, go get yourself a book of business, you know, pick up the phone yeah. and start making calls on these people. So I did. And you, you learn to, uh, how to so you learn how to get appointments on the phone is, is basically what it what it is and you develop sort of a little bit of a script at least in your own mind now mind you once I got the appointment I didn't know what I was going to say to these people because I had no formal sales training at all so um, got a few appointments with people and sort of messed it up because one of the things I do is like a lot of neophytes in sales I'd go in and tell the guy everything I knew about title insurance you know we sort of oh that's your wife and kids blah 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 by the way you know here's you know and I'd end up for the next half hour just spilling everything I knew about title insurance, whether he cared about it or whether that was his concern vis-a-vis -vis title or not he got it from me, so he heard it from me. So um, wasn't you know did that for for a couple of weeks, and then they put me in. Back then, it was the Xerox sales training course, and what it taught you to do was to do just the opposite. It taught you how to structure a sales call so that you elicited information from the client or from the prospect. Uh, specific to what he was concerned about in purchasing your product. So you would, would ask a series of questions. You wouldn't be the guy that just did all the talking. You'd ask him what they call open-ended probes, which were designed to elicit sort of general information. So, you know, what, tell me a little bit about your practice. What do you, what, what, what do you, what type of real estate transactions do you get involved in? Yeah go on for 15 minutes yeah. about how he represents developers or he represents banks or whomever he represents. Okay. So you get a little more information on the guy. Now you're starting to sort of target in your approach to this guy. Then you ask him what they call closed-ended probes, which are more specific. Okay. Have you ever, you know, if, if let's say the guy does a lot of construction work. You'll ask him a question like, "Have you ever had the experience in dealing with whoever you're 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 dealing with now?" And I I, I was pretty open about asking him, "Who do you who do you use for title now?" You know, mm -hmm. so you know, okay, if if it's First American or if it's Old Republic or if it's Stewart, 
have you ever had an experience with Stuart or Old Republic where they're particularly hung up on you know whatever it happens to be so so you ask him a specific question if he's had a problem in this particular area and he says yeah you know i really have last deal i had uh i couldn't get the my client yeah i had to call up and blah 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 and we don't like to do that because then it costs the client money yeah because the title company would you know wouldn't you know didn't understand what was going on so I so then you've got a after you've asked that question it's it's sort of like a lawyer you don't ask a question <laughs> unless you know the answer to it so I've got a solution to you and one of the things I learned in sales was something called feel felt found and what that means is and you can always fall back on feel felt found I know how you feel Many of my clients have felt that way in the past. And what we've, but what we've found is by doing this, we can eliminate that problem. So it's feel, felt, found. That's really interesting. It's, and that's, that's how you get out of a lot of situations in sales that you know, normally make the inexperienced salesperson uncomfortable or yeah. they don't know what to say. You just think feel, felt, found. Huh. That's you know, so interesting. It is. Um, so I know that you said that you kind of have a natural way with people. You're a people person. Wow. And you obviously enjoy uh, talking and socializing. But I kind of want to go back a little bit because sure. one of the interesting things that I heard you say was about how your experience with Northwestern, what you studied, isn't really what you thought you were going to get into or right. didn't end up being what you got into. And so... I think that happens for a lot of us, you know, mm -hmm. you're usually about 17, 18 years old, picking a major, trying to right. figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And oftentimes that ends up changing or not really being the case. And so are there other things about your Northwestern experience that you found actually did help you in getting your career started off, even though it was something very different than what you ended up going into? Well, yeah, I think it. I think going to you know sort of a prestigious school like that, and as my mother said, oh, it's the Harvard of the Midwest. <laughs> She'd tell all her friends. Um, I realize that you know being sort of a a um, non wealthy kid from the South Side, I could compete with anybody yeah. in in the realm of whether it be academics or intellectually I was they were not superior to me just because they happened to come from a different circumstance than I did mm -hmm. so uh, that helped me a lot uh, it sort of broadened my horizons generally to different people you know you meet it's typical college experience you meet people from different walks of life from all yeah. over the country yeah. and you see people live differently people are different and uh, you sort of sort of gain an appreciation for who they are and and what they live they they do and you you realize that the way you live now is not the only way there is to, to do it yeah so. and in sales you must come across a wide variety of different kind of people and different personalities sure. and so that helps you sort of sure adapt to different people and kind of more on the fly sort of interact with with all kinds of different people Absolutely. i'm sure yes it's been very helpful good good 
Um, so I see from your bio that you ended up, you did end up going to DePaul to get some more of that business background. Sort of when did that happen in that timeline and when what spurred that decision sure, to, sure. to do that? Well, I, I, like I said, I was working for Chicago Title. I, I did segued from being a technical person, an examiner, into being a salesman. And um, I was sort of torn between going to, back to law school, which was my original idea, yeah. and uh, going on to getting, getting an MBA. So I talked to sort of a, a gentleman who was, he was the regional manager at the time, a guy by the name of Rush Sherman, who's since passed away. Uh, but he was sort of my mentor. Mm -hmm. And I looked up to Russ. He was a guy, he was an, an older guy. He was from New York. He was uh, high up in the company. And he was both a lawyer and had an MBA too. Okay. And I said, Russ, what do you think, uh, what should I do? You know, I sort of sitting in his office one time. And uh, he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, he said, do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to practice law? And I said, not really. Mm -hmm. do you, so you don't want to go. To, you don't want to be Perry Mason. You don't want to go to court. <laughs> I said, no, I don't think so. He said, okay, then don't go to law school because law school won't help you that much in business. He he did not have a real high opinion of law school. He said, law school will teach you how to read endlessly and how to memorize stuff, but it's not going to teach you how to think in business the way business people think. And he said, so I, my advice to you would be go back and get an MBA. And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll think about doing that. And so having been an under, so I exam, I looked at DePaul. Mm -hmm. And at, at the time, I believe there, it was a 21 course program and I think I comped out of like two or three classes, which were the social studies classes. Everything else I had to take. I mean, I had to take account principles one and two yeah. accounting. I had to take cost accounting. I had to take auditing. I had to take the whole plethora of, I ended up having to take 19 classes. And in the meantime, I had gotten married and um, we had had our first child. Uh, shortly after I started graduate school, because I was sort of going, you know, I go one class. Uh, uh, they were on trimesters at that, okay. time. so I take, uh, you know, one class a trimester, and that was fine because the baby was basically sort of uh, demanding attention. <laughs> did not demand much attention, and it okay. was off of his mother, and so. But then the baby became much more ambulatory, as they will do. Yes. And I began to realize that uh, I'm not going to be able to just sort of barricade myself in the upstairs and study all weekend long anymore. If um, so, I better hurry up and get this done. So I so I put a a rush on it. And. Uh, by the time I realized this, I was about two years into the program. And uh, so I did about another two years in about a year and a half. I mean, I was going, basically working full time at Chicago Title and then going at night down to Jackson here and taking classes. Yeah. And I was, there were, there were a couple trimesters when I did that, I did 
five nights a week plus Saturday mornings wow. just to get done. Yeah. So <laughs> that was that was fun. Yeah. Felt like yourself you're passing yourself the going the other direction. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's not uh, it's not an easy thing, but uh, got it done and kissed the ground and swore I'd never go back to school again. <laughs> and lo and behold, at one point in my career, I ended up teaching oh, wow. a graduate course at uh, in finance, which was what my major was in okay. in uh, uh, business in uh, for my MBA um, at Lewis University. Just sort of as a lark to sort of kill time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just need something to fill that void. Huh? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I just I wanted to. It actually helped me a lot in sales because it sort of perfected my presentational skills. Yeah. You know, you, you got really good at talking to large groups yeah. and eye contact and looking around and, right. you know, all the things that, that make for an interesting talk. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so there's a lot of experience going on here, and a lot of it seems to just be spurned by sort of this inner drive, this this inner willingness to to go out there and see what you can do and just try and get connected with people. Is that sort of the way that it was at the time? Is it just about getting connected and well, was rubbing for, shoulders? It was for me. I mean, I, I grew up, um, my father passed away when I was nine years old. Mm. So I was basically raised by my mother. I have two older, an older brother and sister, yeah. but they, my sister's nine years older than I am. And my brother's 12 years older than I am. So when my father passed away, it was sort of my mother and I, and she always, thank God love her, um, imbued me with the idea that you can do anything mm -hmm. if you really want to. Things may not always work out, and sometimes things haven't always worked out, Yeah. but you should never uh, be afraid to try things and be afraid to, uh, you know, branch out on your own. Yeah. So... So title insurance. Yes. Let's talk about title insurance okay. because uh, we do a lot of obviously commercial real estate work mm -hmm. here at SATC, uh, but in the interest of honesty, I work more on the litigation side, basically completely sure. on the litigation side. Sure. So we're dealing with uh, court <clears throat> filings and all that fun stuff. So I have a limited understanding of what, title companies do mostly okay. because they do a lot and so they actually do have a lot of services but uh, i guess is as efficiently as possible can you Tell me share with us you, yeah everything i know about title everything you know and everything they can do i'll uh, take a quick five minutes give, <laughs> yeah. just give our listeners maybe sure. a, a basic understanding of what title insurance sure. means and kind of what they do for the, the general public sure um, title, insur title insurance companies uh, search the public record for, re uh, on, uh, for the real estate public records uh, for real property, which is land, in order for something to be public notice to third parties. It has to be recorded at the county recorder's office where the property is located. Mm -hmm. If it's not recorded, it's not public notice. Okay. okay. So we search the public records, uh, basically, for titles to real estate. Now, that involves 
tracing down how title has descended through time by looking at the deeds to the property. We also look to see what mortgages are outstanding on the property. And then there are other things such as covenants and restrictions that were recorded against the property, easements that would affect title to the property that we also need to be aware of. We then, we search, so we search back into time to typically, if we don't have any kind of prior title evidence, we'll do a 40-year search because the reason we do 40 years is because uh, covenants and restrictions are good for 40 years and mortgages are good for 40 years unless uh, typically, so typically, if you do a 40-year search, you're good for yeah. whatever's happened out there. Um, so so we go, well, let's say we have to do a full search. So we do a 40-year search all the way back from what's 40 years from, from now. Is that uh, 1988, say? Okay. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's seven, is it <laughs> 78. Okay, so we go back to 1979. So we've got 40 years worth of yeah. chain of title. And we do it in chronological order. You know, A conveyed to B, conveyed to C, conveyed to D. So we, get a, we, we can actually make a title finding of, uh, you know, XYZ company is entitled to this property now as okay. of a certain date. And there's always an effective date that the county records are good through. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're recording documents every day. Right. So they po- but they don't post them all. They're not instantaneously posted. So there's somewhat of a backlog. So there'll be a, a cover date on the public records. So we'll say, as of this cover date, so and so is, you know, XYZ company is entitled subject to the following exceptions. Might be an easement that was recorded 10 years ago. So that would be an exception. So anybody who is purchasing that property is going to take subject to that that easement. Okay. Likewise, if there's a mortgage that XYZ took out five years ago, if that's not paid off or satisfied somehow, anyone taking title from XYZ would take subject to that mortgage. Yeah. So that's so so we so we do a chain of title. We do a tax search. So we search the real estate taxes because if you don't pay your real estate taxes, they get sold and eventually the tax buyer will get a tax deed. Mm-hmm. So that will obviously affect the chain of title. So we we if we check the taxes too. So when you buy a piece of property and you get title insurance, you know what the tax, the real estate tax situation looks like. And we do a name search for judgments against the parties in title and also the parties buying it if they're taking out a mortgage because we issue two types of policies. Number one, we issue an owner's policy to the party buying the property and we issue a mortgage policy to the mortgage company or the lender who's giving that buyer a mortgage. Oh, okay. And that mortgage policy 
guarantee something different than what it's guaranteeing the owner. The owner, we're guaranteeing that basically the seller has a right to sell the property subject to certain intervening items such as, like I said, easements or CC, things that would travel with the land when right. you buy it. What we're guaranteeing the mortgage E on this, on the mortgage policy is that his lien is a prior first lien and is enforceable in the in a court of competent jurisdiction. Yeah. So that's those are that's sort of the how we do our job. We put all this information together into what's called a title commitment. Okay, so Schedule A of the title commitment lays out who the insured is, which would be the buyer and their, their lender, who's in title now, which would be XYZ Company, mm -hmm. the legal description of the property, which is the official way to describe a piece of property. You don't describe it by, you know, 303 West Wacker. That's not the official way to describe this building. Yeah. There's a legal description that describes the property that this building stands on. And that's what we use. And okay. that's what's used in the official public records. Okay. Not not the street address. Street yeah. address can change. Street address can, you know. Can have multiple addresses yeah. for the same yeah. building. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's the official way to describe the property is okay. the legal description. The PIN number can change, which pin num by PIN number, I mean the tax number can change. Yeah. Legal description, and the legal description can change, but that's a different issue. So um, we put this together into a commitment. Schedule A sort of details who's entitled, who title is vested in now. And we're looking at what they call fee simple title, ownership of the property. Okay, Schedule B of the commitment shows any items that are outstanding, such as you know, we show taxes, we show easements, we show CCNRs, we show ordinances, we show mortgages, anything that if you buy the property right now and do nothing else, you will take subject to everything on Schedule B. Obviously, you're not going to take subject to the seller's mortgage, so that's going to have to be paid off at the time of closing. So, buyer and seller decide when they're ready to close, and we perform what's called the closing function or the escrow function. We set up a, an escrow, and in its simplest form, um, basically seller puts in his deed, buyer puts in his money, and they use us to switch. Okay. So that's So what you're what you're essentially doing then is providing some peace of mind both for the buyer and the mortgage company saying we've looked these are any ownership or restrictions or anything that you we need to know about this property and about what would carry through with this property we've looked and here's right. everything that you need to know. Well, we're certifying. We're not just giving them a good faith effort. Yeah. We are providing insurance. Okay. And there's a face amount on the policy. And if for some reason we are wrong and we have missed something and 
it causes the insured to suffer loss or damage, they can come back at us and file a claim and collect money. So if for some reason the lender can't, the borrower doesn't pay and the lender starts a foreclosure proceeding and finds out there's a defect in title, so he can't foreclose, he comes to look to the title, he pulls out his title policy and he says, hey, wait a second, I got a title policy that says I'm a first mortgage and and everything was clean and, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm going to collect from the title company. So we could have a total title failure too. Okay. I mean, so we could pay the face amount of the policy. Yeah. We never pay any more than the face amount of the policy. That's why you insure for the purchase price of the yeah. property. Okay. So if you're paying a million dollars, we would pay you a million dollars if for some reason it came came to light that you didn't own the property because the person that sold it to you didn't own the property. You see that hearing, you hear that sometimes on the news happening, but it doesn't happen with title insurance because the title company checks the title. And you go back the 40 years so that you catch anything and everything that might be there that... That's going to have a legal effect. Okay. Um, so to kind of switch back, well, I guess I have a question I want to ask before we, we move on. This happens both for commercial and private property or like correct, correct. residential? Residential, yes. Yes. Uh, real estate. Uh, Yes, exactly. It does. We we do it for both commercial and residential. I happen to work in the commercial end of the business. Okay. Always have pretty much, uh, although I've been an agent. Uh, I owned an agency at one point in my career, and we did obviously did residential business there too. So it's the concerns are different. The yeah. uh, the parties you're dealing with are different on, on residential, but it's basically the same process. Okay. So if I am purchasing a property, a real property, is this something that I would seek out a title insurance company to do, or is this something the mortgager would do, or how, how the does seller, it come The seller to? would pay for the policy okay. for you because according to the, con- the contract, typically he has to give you good title to the property, yeah. so he would pay for the owner's policy. You would you as the buyer would pay for the the lender's policy, which is a substantially okay. less amount than the uh, owner's policy would be. So the seller would contract with a title company, and or the seller's attorney would contract with the, whoever he uses for title, and place an order and yeah. get a get a commitment going. And then, <clears throat> so this is obviously where you come in. Say okay, hey, we're here. We'd love to right. connect with you and, and help you in this process. Well, it's a service but, business too. I mean, I can get it for you quicker. We do it right. Yeah. We will. We will. Um, I don't want to say we will underwrite it more liberally, um, but if there's a problem, we'll deal with we'll deal with it in a in a manner that doesn't overburden your client or yeah. will try to to deal with it we may not be able to deal with it uh, so that's why people use this that's why people will use one title company over another okay 
And so this is something that on your end, what are you actively doing, you know, day to day and the sales part to, um, to promote that or to get maybe attorneys or uh, those in the professional real estate industry just to know what you do and sort of how you can do this better than maybe someone else could or another company. Well, there's could. a couple aspects to it. You know, there's obviously getting your name out there and mm -hmm. that you're a player. and But then there's also uh, a specific uh, sales that goes on in terms of, hey, you need to, to think about using our team because our guys have, you know, got X amount of experience in the business. They are very customer oriented, whatever it happens to be. I yeah. mean, so it's, so it's, it's a, um, it's a, it can be a long sales process. It's a, it's a process of not just a one shot sale. It's a process of establishing a relationship with a customer, an ongoing relationship. So you want to make it sure every transaction goes smooth because those ongoing relationships can obviously go away if you know, a transaction turns sour and it's perceived that the title company is the reason why it turns sour. You don't ever want to be in that position. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine so. Right. So tell me about what's changed in your industry or about how you do what you do. Uh, I been doing this for almost 25 years 40 years oh wow I, I was a little off so you've been doing this for almost 40 years yes and I'm sure you've seen a lot change oh. about what you do and what the title insurance companies do so can you tell me about what you've seen change and and sort of how that's affected what you do Oh sure, yeah. I mean, it's 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 changed dramatically. I can remember when I first started out, there were no there were there were no fax machines. Mm -hmm. There were no uh, there certainly was no email. There were it wasn't done via computer. It was done. Our 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 commitments now are produced all on computer. Uh, at that time, they were either typed manually or they were typed via a mag card system um our searches were done strictly manually it was somebody oh, wow. pulling books at the recorder's office or at the title plant and you know manually writing down searches now it's all computerized yeah none of it's done manually it's all done and, and it's so much easier now i mean just think about uh that that's on the front end. That's producing the title commitment. How how uh, I don't want to say mechanization. It's not mechanization, but how the um, computer revolution has rev really revolutionized our business. Uh, just think about uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a real estate closing, but we you know we act as the intermediary. We're the escrowee. Um, if figures change. Uh, used to be you had to recalculate the entire RESPA or the entire closing statement. If one figure changed, everything had to be re-added and refigured, and yeah. something had to be, you know, it had to all be done manually. Now it's just <laughs> put some, you change, change a number and it changes 
throughout the whole system. Yeah. It's it's uh, you know it it, uh, it it's amazing. I mean it's been. I mean you now too. We do we do transactions throughout the entire country too, which is another thing I forgot to mention in in our department. And so you may have a deal in Texas where really the only interface we have with the local office in Texas is by placing the order and having them produce the commitment. They send it to us. We send it to you with the Schedule B documents so that you can examine it and make comments. You send it to Chicago here. We prepare what's called a pro forma, which is basically what your pro your policy is going to look at look like once you close and we actually do the closing so you know with wire transfers and stuff and now you can e-file documents with the local recorder's office in you know, tarrant county texas mm -hmm. or wherever it happens to be mm -hmm. there's a services you can subscribe to which we do which we don't have to send the deed and the mortgage down to the local office we just send it to the service and they e-record they it's what they call e-record i don't mm. understand it exactly how it happens but it happens yeah so it's uh computer computerization and technology has totally changed our industry yeah, yeah. uh things have it, it, it's increased the velocity and consequently the customer's expectations exponentially yeah i mean it used to be where you know you give me an order and four or five days would go by you might say hey where's the title commitment and i say well, i'm dropping it in the mail to you today <laughs> i mean i'd even have it done but i'm dropping it now it's like okay well Send me an e send me an email with a PDF of the title commitment and stuff, with all the Schedule B documents hyperlinked to the exceptions. So, yeah. I mean, it's just it's incredible. So things happen much quicker in this yeah. business now than it used to. So co consumer expectations have risen, but Very your ability to so. meet those have also kind of come along. With right, it. right. We we've. We've, uh, you know, if you're set up properly, yes, you, you you definitely need to, and we've even gone beyond that. I mean, that's that's a way that you can sort of differentiate yourself as a company by being a little more um, innovative, a little more um, a little more service oriented in that regard. Yeah. J just to give you an example. Um, when I was talking about hyperlinking documents, you're going to set up Schedule B, as I mentioned, which are exceptions to title. Well, the attorneys, especially on a commercial deal, want to examine those documents. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter how old they are. They could be from 1920. They still want to see them. So rather than send them a pile of documents and have them match up with Schedule B, what we do is we hyperlink the cop the PDFs of those documents to the exceptions so they can go to the document number mentioned in the exception tap on you know double click on it and the document will appear on their computer screen so as they're reading the exception 
they can read the do the actual document yeah. that created that exception. Hmm. That's something, and the many companies would do that on national deals, out of state deals, uh, but few would do that on Chicago or Cook County deals. Well, we decided that you know we needed to do that in order to sort of get a leg up on our competition. So we started doing that early and customers have loved it. It's just been, you know, we've spoiled them, I think. <laughs> so. Yeah, I definitely feel spoiled with, uh, you know, always having computers available mm -hmm. and, and the internet pretty much at the yeah, snap of the yeah. fingers. So. Absolutely. Well, I want to finish out our conversation today talking about what, what a guy in sales in commercial uh, title insurance, what he does to unwind, to sort of get away from, because it seems like a pretty hefty job. It seems like a pretty serious thing uh, that you're doing every day. And so you talked about your family and about how mm -hmm. they had to sort of rally around you and, and for this period of time, especially that you were in school and what you were doing to, to work and go to school and, and raise young children. Um, so So what do you do in your personal life or in your your extra time so to speak to sort of what hobbies unwind, do I have? what hobbies what like what, what do you do outside of work that uh, is unique to you well I've always been a runner for one thing okay. ever since I was in junior high when I started running I've always before it was popular to, <laughs> to be a runner I was a runner and uh, I've carried forward on that to a greater or lesser extent. Sometimes I've, depending on you know what my schedule would allow, I've run a lot, and mm -hmm. other times I've not been as diligent about it as I should be. But I like to do that. It's a good release. I like to play tennis. Um, I'm not much of a golfer, but I like to play golf. I paint. Oh, interesting. And um, that's about it. I read, and I paint. And I run. That, that's about it. Seems like pretty good uh, set of skills there. And I hang out with my wife. Yeah. Of, was to be of forty years, or going to be forty years. Wow. This uh, August twenty sixth. I better get that right. <laughs> this is being recorded, yeah. so you don't want to get. I know that right. you don't want to screw that up. That's, no, that's so. great. Well. Mike, it's been so great talking to you. It's and been I think, great talking uh, to you, too. learned so much and really interesting stuff. And thank you for, for sharing with us sure. how you can help both uh, commercial and uh, residential property buyers and mortgagers, right. how you can help them get some peace of mind about their purchase and about what they're, they're getting into. So I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of today's podcast. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, we look forward to working with you in the future. Yeah. And Mike, if, uh, if anyone is interested in connecting with you and working with you, how can they contact you? What is the best way to get a hold of you? Well, uh, the name of the company is Old Republic Title Insurance, and we are located at 20 South Clark Street. And my f personal phone number is 312-641-7742. Best way to get a hold of me is email, though, of course. Yeah. Uh, and that is mfrain, that's M-F-R-A-I-N, at oldrepublictitle.com.
And can you leave us with one thought if there are people out there who are interested specifically in the sales side of this commercial real estate title insurance um, work that you do? If there's some young person out there that's interested in getting involved into this, what is one piece of advice that you might give to them as they start their career, as they look to start in uh, title insurance? Uh, I would say to start building relationships as early as you possibly can, because the relationships that you start now are going to carry forward through your whole career. Mm -hmm. uh, I know they have for mine, and that's one of the things that has made this portion of my career particularly fruitful, uh, because I have been doing this for almost 40 years and have um, established so many relationships, so many long-term relationships, um, and that's, that's, that's the way you want to go. Well, thanks again for joining us today. It's been very helpful, and we hope that you have enjoyed it as well. I have, yes. And um, again, we look to working. We look forward to working with you. I do too. But uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode of Bridging Chicago. to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solution Center. As always, feel free to reach out to us on social media with your comments and suggestions. You can email us at solutioncenter at satcltd.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shank Annis Tepper Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to, for use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.